Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Osiris. that we are live the wi-fi checks out and actually works it may not be working in paris but it is working in denver virginia and new york city guys welcome to hf pod 40 for 40 the 2014 edition we are talking randall's island new york 713 2014 today I'm Brian from a remote location. That is Megan, and that is Jonathan. How are you guys doing? I'm doing. You're doing. You are. I'm doing too. Baseline. You're doing too. I'm (laughs) doing as well. You know, it's that time of year when you're just, everybody's just doing, you know, we're like getting by. We are officially transitioning towards the holiday season. Are you guys excited for the vibes of the season? Or are you just like, mm-hmm. again, we're already here again? What What are you guys' sentiments around this? There's holiday? Well, I was a little surprised. Yeah, I was a little surprised that my daughters 
they like Starbucks, you know, they're teenagers. So they go to Starbucks like all the time. I guess my older one's more of like the local blank street coffee place, but they do still go to Starbucks. But my 13 year old is like full on into Starbucks and apparently they already have their holiday cups out. And I just found that really offensive. (laughs) I mean, this is way too early. Like they had it out the week of Halloween. I went to my grocery store that also has like, it's like one of those big marketplace grocery stores has like a clothing section and has like home goods and all that sort of stuff all in one. It's crazy. And the, on Halloween I went and they had Christmas sweaters and Christmas decorations up. And I was like, we are just making as like smooth a transition here as possible. Just (laughs) yesterday I logged into uh, one of the uh, mid-level streaming platforms and it had a, you know, uh, a movie, a brand new movie uh some sort of romance around christmas sort of movie you can write it yourself you know how they go um already out already out well we are going to be covering some christmas related stuff i'm guessing in the future is uh we we talked about fish at msg in about seven weeks kind of crazy that we're going to get our next fish shows in seven weeks but for today we are continuing the 40 for 40 series we are Plowing ahead, as RJ said, we are on track to finish this series before the end of 2023, which is a bit of a minor miracle if you guys know our personal (laughs) schedules, as well as the fact that we had a lot of fish this year to cover. Um, As I noted, we are talking 7-13-2014 from New York City, Randall's Island, the only run that fish ever played at Randall's Island, and one of those Sunday shows, a show that inspired the Never Miss a Sunday show uh, sentiment. I have a thought on that um, because arguably it's this one and the Merryweather show from this summer as well. Mm-hmm. Another big Sunday show. It was this tour that I think is where we get the Never Miss a Sunday show. Yeah, this was solidified here. The wow. 10 20, 13 Hampton show that we talked about last week also was a Sunday night show. Another big uh, monumental moment. There were a few others, but I, I totally agree with you. This was like when it went from being a oh, wow, Fish plays really good shows on Sundays, too. You had better go to every single Sunday show that this band plays. And Don't look it up. I actually brought some math and some stats to this to uh, discuss yes. it here. Should Let's I share it, it now, or should we, should we pause? Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, go for it. So I went through. There have been 106 Sunday shows of the 3.0, 4.0 era. 106. How many of those do you think have, and and I'll, I'll preface this that you know this is all uh, this is all subjective. So this is me saying that was a really really great show. But I think I have a pretty keen ear towards this sort of stuff. How many Sunday shows do you think have been like all cap Sunday shows? Like six, right? It's like five or six. I was gonna maybe. say <laughs> thirty, but maybe I'm really optimistic. 28 as far as i count no you're not (laughs) 26 which is a pretty good hit rate you know that's 260 batting average you can't really argue with that i feel one out of every third yeah yeah i mean you'd be a consistent top five hitter at that point in time i went through and it's basically like two shows a year fall on a sunday and are excellent that's a pretty good you know ratio for someone if you're trying to figure out what shows to go to in a given year where should i hit you got a Sunday show in kind of a reliable market, San Francisco, a Dix, 
unless it's a one set Dick's Sunday night show. Um, <laughs> Dick's Sunday nights haven't been really good since 2015. So we'll just forget about that. But you know, uh, on the East coast, a Meriwether is usually a reliable spot, but this was definitely a part of it. And it's, we were talking about it last week, that sentiment of like, you build towards the final set of a weekend and then that really mm-hmm. caps things off that totally happens in this show which we're going to get into but before we do that we have a few voicemails that we need to listen to share with you all and address or is it time for us to uh empty the hf pod voicemail box yes yes please inbox zero yes. please let's do this <laughs> Let's make sure we're good. I, I tested this out earlier. I am not RJ, you know, so so hopefully I can get this figured out here. Let's try it right now. Hey guys, um, so uh, I've been to I've been to some fish shows. I haven't been to all of them, um, but I was just wondering, like, do you guys have access to Fish.net, like our XXDDYY stats? It seems as a, as a little podcast over the years, including Forty for Furrow Forty. It seems like you 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 chimed into my shows because you talk about some of the shows that I went to, but not all. Of them. It's true. Wow, we, I have to look and um, check out those websites. Never heard we of didn't those. even I. He didn't even identify himself, but I can say it's absolutely true. We are looking at his Zizix fish stats. Um. Some of the we time. select these shows. Well, you know, sometimes he he he's seen some bad shows apparently, uh, and he and he didn't see every show, so <laughs> we have everyone. to like avoid. You know, sometimes we can't do one that he went to, but yeah, it's an interesting voicemail because it's part conspiracy. Are we spying on some of his shows and yes. not all of them? Just enough mm-hmm. to throw him off, but I do think it um, raises an important question, kind of overall, of how we select shows for this series and i thought it might be cool if we went around and is there like a a, a, an approach that everybody has because i know we all kind of select different shows here is there approach anyone has specifically that they follow when they um when they pick a show for 40 for 40 jonathan since this is your show maybe you could tie it into why you picked this show well uh no uh there's no specific approach so it depends on the year and you know i don't think that i've i've had too many like years where I absolutely was like, yes, I know exactly what it is the minute I see what year it is. But, um, so no, I, I'm a little bit of like, uh, what, what do I know is good? What, you know, kind of flip through those, this show, for example, or this week, I didn't know what I wanted to pick. I kind of didn't want to pick one with a big chalk dust, but a lot of the good shows from this (laughs) year have big chalk dust. So shit. Good luck. Um, and uh, and I was like, Brian, just give me a couple that you would choose from just to help me narrow it down. Because I had like five or six kept bouncing around. He sent me three. And I was like, well, they were all on my list. So I just took one. And it's a good show. I know it's a good show and certainly should provoke some interesting discussion. Um, and that's part of it. It has to be a discussion. good show. That's the key. Right. But, Which- but you know... I will say the exception to all of this, and it's not the exception to the good show thing, is that when we did the um, hiatus years and we're picking some of the side projects, I was just looking for really interesting representations of the side work. And that's how yeah. we ended on some of those, like mm-hmm. the jazz mandolin project and whatever. 
That's so really great, by the way. Look at mm-hmm. it. Megan, how, how about you? How do you go about selecting shows here? I usually use a certain website and I will search for top rated shows in that year. And then I look through the list and think about, is there any that I was at? What do I remember about those shows? Then I'll look at some of them and kind of think about what I want about that year. Like my overarching theme and what show kind of like represents that the most. Um, I also have tried to pick shows that haven't been archivally released, like in the past, at least now, obviously we can't do that, but shows from the past that hadn't been released yet. Um, just so we could talk about a show that wasn't out there and it's like as popular. And I also have a consultant that I sometimes talk to, but I can't name that source. Yeah. I kind of take a similar approach to what you, how how you, uh, uh, put it out there. I will say, um, you know, those of you, uh, who are going through our back catalog and are like, I wonder what shows they picked for certain years. Um, I, a decision I made way back in the spring to pick a show for 1992, where I was trying to get deep in the mindset of what were people talking about listening to in 1992, a year I was not aware of fish uh, during, I'll admit I kind of picked a stinker. And ever since then, I've thought to myself, what, would RJB pick for this year? And that is where my thought process goes to, is what would RJB pick? What would he have his arms in the air for and be celebrating? Um, and so that's kind of like the guiding light for me, is uh, right. making sure making sure I make him happy. But Wait, RJ so would like tell us he has pick? terrible taste. Mm, he, <laughs> he has bad opinions and bad, bad takes. Uh, I think ultimately I... I, I had tried to avoid a 1982 spring because we had talked so much about it the year before mm. when the right answer was to go for a spring show. So I went for a fall show that was an early tape that I had that um, ultimately didn't pan out. And uh, I fully admitted I take the L. I don't think it was the right representation of 1992. And um, I wake up every morning and I try to be better. And that is, <laughs> that is the goal. Um, well, I like I, that conversation, but um, but I see. I'm glad you, you know, you're taking that and, and learning from it. That wasn't my takeaway. All right, let's open up voicemail two here. Uh, This one talks about stuff that was going on this year, so it's pretty relevant. Yo, HF Pod, it is Dave Waxman, a.k.a. Canoe Carnival. Excited to see most of you next week in Asbury. But uh, 2014, it just struck me that that was the Merriweather Tweezer Fest show. And it would be a crime not to discuss that second set in detail because it was fucking great. Anyway, <laughs> that's all I got. Keep up the great work. So much fun listening. Talk to you all soon. See you all soon. Bye. The aforementioned Never Miss a Sunday show, which, for yeah. the record, I missed. Um, because going home on a Sunday night from Merriweather to my home and then having to go to work the next day, not fun. Um, it's not fun. I I have two interesting thoughts. I don't know if they're interesting. I have two thoughts about this show. <laughs> One, um, I saw most of the summer tour until <clears throat> I ended it with the Chicago run. And the last night of Chicago was my very last night of like, I'd, I'd left America on March 1st, 2013. And I returned to my hometown on July 21st, 2014. And I started looking for a job and looking to move either downtown Chicago or outside of Chicago. And 
I just decided not to webcast the next weekend. And so I'd seen all this fish in 2014. And then I started to get text messages around 8 30, 9 o'clock on Sunday night of like, oh my God, they're going in and out of tweezer. Oh my God, this song. And I was just like, God damn it, why didn't I stream tonight? It was so stupid. Um, it's interesting this show because um, I think of Meriwether Night 2 and Randall's Night 3 as kind of the yin and yang of Fish 2014. And I say that because they kind of peak jamming uh, for the summer tour with this Randall's second set. And it's, uh, as we're going to get into here, probably in the next, I don't know, 90 minutes, once we start talking about the show, um, it, it, it has a lot of forward thinking and like uh, moments where, where you hear where the band is going to go come 2015. And you hear a lot of like risk-taking from a um, improvisational standpoint Meriwether Night 2 just feels to me like a really fun, nostalgic throwback show. And I don't yeah. say that insulting. Like, it's just, to me, I, I don't necessarily listen to that show all the time. Um, I, I will say that they they played that show. I think it was the second dinner in a movie. And it mm-hmm. was right around the time in March 2020 where you were like, oh, we're not going to we're not going to go back to normal for a long time. And watching Fish play a tweezer fest from six years earlier was like, one of the best ways I could have ever spent a Tuesday night during the pandemic. So the show just like has that fish magic doesn't totally like excite me in the way that like risk risky jamming does, but it's really fun. It's really soulful. Uh, I thought that they did a really good job with it overall. What do you guys think? Yeah, this is just fish having a blast. You know, you've got like fishmen out there. They're singing Jennifer dances. They're like doing catapult. I mean, this has like all the fun stuff in it. And yeah, I don't listen back to this a lot either because it's just, it's not, yeah, it's not something that I like am looking for when I want to listen to fish now, but it's a classic show for sure. Yeah, I mean, these are two major examples of like, great things fish does and they're very different yeah. and people yeah, exactly. love them both. So they definitely like hearken to that. You talked about this last week when we, when we moved away from the tweezer golden age segment into um, the Piper uh, take care of business that like the fun side of fish is an important aspect of this band. And like, you kind of see two sides of that. This chalk dust light tweezer is very, very serious uh deeply experimental part of this band but then this and meriwether is just like we're gonna throw a party and we're gonna play everything all in one set and all little bits and pieces of uh of fish you guys are gonna get here hopefully that's satisfied for you dave a deep dive on this um great show fun show i'm guessing that there's a great review of that show from the hf archives all right we have one more here Hi. Um, wow, that was a nice voice crack to start off the message. Um, it's Ryan, of course. Um, I'm curious, talking about 2014, um, you know, myself at the time, who was 14 years old and didn't really obviously know what he was talking about with fish, I felt that during fall 2014, um, Trey really sounded like uh, his guitar playing was going downhill. That was the first time uh, for me that I was like listening to stuff and being like, wow, that that's really sloppy. And wow, it, you know, he's hitting a lot of wrong notes here. And I know you guys are talking about a summer show, uh, but I'm curious your opinion on Trey's playing in 2014. And, you know, obviously next week, you'll talk more about it with, with 2015, but how fairly well on that practice may have 
saved Trey's uh, guitar playing, like, you know, in, in a much more long-term sense. Uh, excited for the episode. Uh, thanks, guys. Talk soon. So funny that he says that because when I was listening to this show, I kept thinking, God, 2023 Trey is, is so good. Like, he's so good now. Yeah. And I kept thinking, like, how amazing it is that we have him playing this well nine years later. You know, it's just, it's wild. Yeah, there's a lot of little instances of uh, of the slop here and there on this show. Um, none of it really derails anything egregiously, but it's there if you want to find it. Um, and it's like a I, lack I of like, clarity and tone and like phrasing for me. Like it doesn't have that like tightness and like his tone just doesn't sound as like round as it does now. Yeah, like it could ruin the Reba if it weren't for the rest of the Reba, for example. There's been right. really <laughs> yeah, the exactly. land that you expect yeah. him to land, but then the rest of the thing is, you know, we're getting way ahead of ourselves here. But, Brian? No, I mean, I'm on the same page with you guys. Like, I, And I remember at the time, especially the early part of Fall Tour, there were there was kind of this element of some of the, some of the set lists weren't really popping and some of the jams weren't really popping. I, I went through and listened to a bunch of 2014 jams uh, through the lead up of this week. And I re- was reminded of some just amazing moments uh, like the cross eyed from Eugene, the ghost from Santa Barbara, the disease from the forum twist from San Francisco. Like there were moments of true clarity and a lot of, excitement that was happening just kind of under the surface the piper from vegas uh as well uh, really hit me um but i agree with what ryan's saying and i remember there was almost like a panic in the fan base uh which you know we're we're, we're prone to from time to time sometimes justifiably Never. oftentimes not justified <laughs> exactly like we're, we're totally cool we're just like the hippies that everyone we're thinks we are. we're just like we're chill man um but uh you know one thing I thought listening back to this, like I think your point about the tone is really interesting, Meg. I also think it's wild to me how few effects Trey uses throughout these shows and throughout this year. It's and, and I thought this in 2013 as well. There's definitely like moments where he like keys on on his effects board, but it's it seems like he's really trying to play these jams and play segments of songs straight, which at the time, maybe it was a lack of practice. I don't really know. I know the band was very busy at this point in time, so maybe they weren't just like sitting down and woodshedding these these songs. But there is definitely a noticeable difference between the way Trey sounds in 2014 versus post Fairly Well, when he spent all of that spring into the summer rehearsing and just came out of it with a, a different sound and just kind of like a, um, there was something like a little bit more alive in his playing. So I definitely remember hearing it, um, listening back to it. It's more kind of interesting to me. I, I do think that the sound during this period is stronger than what we heard in like 2018, 2019 from a Trey, just like lack of flubs, uh, perspective. Mm. But that era also has like a ton of jams, a ton of really cool effects that are used. So I don't know. It's, 2014 has always sounded like a transitional year to me. And I think that you get that within each of the members playing as well. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about music masters collective, a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. 
Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, the Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Stephen Page, Justin Furstenfeld, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe and special guests for Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and so much more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open and spots are already filling up, so register soon. Scholarships are also available and spots are extremely limited, so visit magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. That's magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. So that's why I had trouble landing on a pick for this year because I I had trouble. Even listen to this. I've enjoyed this show uh, revisiting it, but like I had trouble getting excited about it. Well, and I, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll get further into why maybe here, but, uh, you know, maybe we want to try our other segments or something. I don't know. Well, I don't want to give anything away, but I'm, I've been thinking about my, of the pick for 2016 and I've been thinking about what am I going to pick? And I've gone through like six different shows for the same reason where I'm just like, there's, there's some areas I don't want to really listen to, but then there are some areas that like, are, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's up have and down. You, it's have you considered a Mike Gordon band show? I have not. Okay. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> I have not, and I will not. <laughs> Sam, I am. Um, all right, let's uh, let's go into Meg's corner here. Let's hang out. The party is happening over here, but Meg's corner is over here. It's the coolest place of the entire party. Throwing it over to you. Come on over to Meg's corner, everybody. So, in. 2014, they are going to play 39 shows, so two less than 2013. The touring schedule, though, is going to be very similar to 2013. We're going to have a summer tour, so they're going to do a show. Before summer tour, they're going to do a show in April at the Jazz Fest in New Orleans. And then their summer tour is going to have shows in the Northeast, these shows at Randall's Island. They're going to go to the Midwest, play Northerly Island again, play in the Southeast, and end the summer again at Dick's for the fifth year in a row. Then they're going to have a fall tour on the West Coast and the Halloween run for the first time at MGM in Vegas. And of course, they'll do the chilling, thrilling sounds of the haunted house set. 
And then they'll do one night in New Year's Eve in Miami. I just not a fan of the Miami New Year's runs. I'm just going to say that. You're not. Out front. I'm not a fan. No, I'm not a fan. It's like, I mean, Brian, it's like if all of a sudden they just decided to play Labor Day weekend in like Maine, you would be like, what? I'm sorry. No, that belongs to Denver. It does. I'm not sure that's the best reason to feel that way. I think there's probably other very good, in fact, possibly better reasons to not be a big fan of that run. But you do you. Oh, yeah. I've got, there's definitely a few reasons <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it's not, it's not that great. But yeah, I think that like, it's just not something they should do. Like it belongs to New York. So that's just how I feel about it. I would blame James Dolan uh, for lots of things. And I would also blame him for uh, the reason why 2009 and 2014 were in Miami. Um, I would also blame the NBA and the NHL for that as well. Um, and probably Billy Joel. I'm sure he had something to do with this. Um, but yeah, I'm not fans of any of those people. So that sounds like perfect people to blame. Um, but we'll keep I, going. I will say so, my, yeah, my, only go ahead. Pushback, my only pushback on it is, you have this strange establishment of Big Cypress happens, so South Florida, and then four years later, the 2003 run happens, South Florida, really memorable run. Their next New Year's run, 09, is Miami. Like It does have this element of a, of a proper second home for them. It did no. feel strange, though, no. after... 2010, they play there again for the first time, a full run for the first time since 98. 2011, 12, 13, four-night runs. 2013 is so special. And then 2014's, let's just go down to Miami. It did feel a little bit odd. And I think that there is yeah. clear reason, to your point, of why they have not. They, they, they own MSG at this point in time. Nobody's kicking them off for New Year's. Yeah, no. And they don't want to be anywhere else, I don't think, now. So thankfully for that. I, I yeah, will defend exactly. just the second set on that New Year's Eve show is, is yeah. excellent. And um, technically 2015, but 2014 New Year's run, uh, the January 3rd show uh, is really, really strong. It has an excellent Dallas disease. But the middle two nights are definitely a little like, what's going on here, guys? What are we doing? Yeah. So I'll just finish Meg's Corner for debuts. We have 15 songs this year. 11 are originals from the Halloween Thrilling Chilling set. And we have Fuego is the 13th studio album that comes out, the first album in five years, produced by Bob Ezrin, recorded in 2013, which is probably why that year was strong. A bulk of the material was written at the barn by the full band. And then we have a few other, we have Live Fish download from August 7th, 1993, Darien Lake. And we also have a live bait released that June. So that's it. That's kind of what was going on with the band. It's an interesting year because structurally it is it is very similar to 2013, as you mentioned. All the Fuego songs really dominate. I remember one of the big themes of the summer was you would listen to a show, and if you heard Fishman do a slow hi-hat, you knew you were getting a Fuego song because they wanted to get <laughs> yeah. that just right. Um, and it just had it kind of an up-and-down nature to it. This, this show, as we're going to get into, feels like a peak. Um, with your permission, I'd like to tell us a little bit about what was going on contextually outside of the world of fish and fish Twitter. You guys okay with this? Let's do it. Sure. All right. RJ, cue Brian's popcorn. Um, I Wait, are you I, getting music now? Are you getting no. music? No. 
We have an intern for one thing, and it's Meg's Choir Music. No okay, emails. okay, good. Don't even fact check us. They just they just come in, they press play, cut it for Meg's Corner. Um, so television, I haven't mentioned much about television in the last couple of episodes, but I do want to just note that this is like, we are fully into the streaming era here where, where the biggest shows are happening on HBO. They're happening. Uh, they're, they're, they're playing across Netflix. You've got house of cards. Um, the leftovers mm. debut is a really fascinating show on HBO. Uh, season four of game of Thrones is a huge deal. Um, spoiler alert, Joffrey dies. Uh, for what the fuck, man? I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I'm halfway <laughs> I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> Uh, last week tonight with John Oliver debuts, which is this kind of transitional away from the daily show into every comedian now gets their own new show that um, are varying levels of funny and honesty. I believe that this was the year that Broad City debuted, which is a really funny show. Um, oh and uh, True Detective season one happened in 2014, which is uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite seasons of television ever. Go ahead. That's really that didn't so Mike Gordon wild. have some intersection to Broad City at some point? Am I remembering that right? One, yeah. one of them is a huge fish fan, and I think Mike either came on or like there were jokes yeah. uh, shared. He went backstage too, and then she had an episode where she's working at the co-op in Park Slope, and her like the other one pretends to be her and has to like talk about all this fish stuff. Cause one of the people there loves fish and she has to like fake it. And so it's like pretending what a fish fan would say if you weren't a fish fan, if you haven't seen that episode, it is hilarious. You should definitely watch it. It's a really good uh, Parks and Rec uh, sketch as well with uh, Harris Whittles trying to pick up ladies, telling them that he knows uh, a bunch of fish stats and he's been to however many fish shows and everyone's just like walking away from them. It's good stuff. Um, movies we got a lot of really good movies this year this is an awesome movie year i was looking through this and just being like oh my god i love that movie and that movie and that movie um edge of tomorrow one of the greatest sci-fi action movies made of the last decade i cannot uh recommend it enough emily blunt dude she just makes bangers she just Mm -hmm. makes bangers um boyhood richard linklater's lifelong project uh came out this year excellent movie uh gone girl um, a movie that if you suspend all reality and if you convince yourself that Ben Affleck is a great actor is actually an amazing movie. Uh, Whiplash, probably my favorite movie of 2014. Um, a movie that argues that no movie needs to be longer than 90 minutes. Just none. None of them. Okay. And also not my fucking tempo. Great uh, movie. Birdman, which won Best Picture. Uh, Nightcrawler. John Wick, another excellent action movie. I cannot recommend that enough. Don't fuck with people's dogs, dude. Just don't fuck with people's dogs. Is that Keanu Box Reeves? Catcher. Keanu Reeves, yeah. Just very sleek, uh, retired assassin whose puppy is murdered, and then he goes on a killing spree <laughs> and murders 420 people. spoilers, dude. There's it happens so like five minutes little, into the movie. It's so the little plot movie. <laughs> to that movie <laughs> slash franchise, and you just gave it all away. I've seen him. I'm telling you, you just gave it all away. There's nothing the else to learn there <laughs> other than other than to just keep a body count tally through the rest of the thing. 428 oh people die over 10 years. Um, enemy, excellent uh, Denis Villeneuve movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Really intense movie about fatherhood. My God. Uh, Inherent Vice, American Sniper, and the Grand Budapest Hotel. Good, good stuff here in 2014. Albums. 
we've got a lot of killer albums that came out this year as well. Just warning you all. Um, and I'm going to give you all some space because I know there are a couple here that you guys are going to want to talk about. Maybe a few that I'm forgetting you guys will want to talk about. Uh, kicking it off, we got D'Angelo's Black Messiah, uh, Swans to Be Kind, the self-titled St. Vincent record, uh, which was basically like a Talking Heads record. Just amazing stuff. Uh, Run the Jewels 2, Aphex Twin, Zero, um, Flying Lotuses, You're Dead, on all caps, The War on Drugs, Lost in the Dream, my favorite album of the decade, one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, Sturgill Simpson, Meta Modern Sounds and Country, Sharon Van Etten's Are We There? Sun Kill Moon's Benji, Steve Gunn's Way Out Weather, Future Island Singles, Mac DeMarco's Salad Days, Hiskel the Messenger, Lateness of Dance, was the first Hiskel the Messenger record I heard, and uh, a really, really good one. That uh, is basically his like, next like four or five records were some of my favorite each year. Uh, Always, uh, their first record, self-titled, came out, incredible uh, indie pop album. Spoon, They Want My Soul, Strand of Oaks, Heal, shout out uh, to everybody, Tim, uh, Tim Showalter, uh, Tweedy's Sucre, uh, Jeff Tweedy's album with his son. Uh, amazing, amazing work there. Real Estate's Atlas, uh, all caps, Taylor Swift's 1989. Uh, Woods with Light and with Love, Stephen Alchemist and the Jicks, We Got at Jag Bags, Parquet Quartz, Sunbathing Animal, and Brian Eno and Carl Hyde's High Life. A gorgeous, gorgeous record. Just a really strong year for a lot of artists that I've loved for a long time. We put out just excellent, excellent work and also a lot of artists I was being introduced to for the first time. But anyone have anything else that they want to share music-wise, non-fish division? I, I have a, like a couple. Like uh, I'll speed run a couple of these. Um, so like the Cosmic Dead's Easter Faust, and somehow I admitted they're self-titled last year. Um then there is there was actually the year we got the final pressing of uh, Gray Folded, John Oswald's Gray Folded. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, you should. But brace yourself. Chris Forsyth and Solar Motel Band uh, Intensity Ghost came out in 2014. I think that's the first one I heard of his, and that really like started clicking and checking a lot of boxes musically for me. Um, and. Oh, this one, Daniel Bachman, Orange County Serenade. Mm. This is uh, probably wh where I really got on board with what Daniel's doing. And it's interesting that I have it right here. Um, <laughs> but we'll get, you'll learn about that later. Um, anyways, it's, uh, yeah, some bunch of great stuff. Uh, and I won't, I won't belabor it, though. But, uh, yeah, lots of great, great music that year. Oh, the Pink Floyd. Remember Pink Floyd? They had a record that year. Um, some people don't like it, but they did. <laughs> and uh, and that's a real thing. That's what about awesome. you, Meg? What, what stuck out to you? Yeah, one album that I didn't listen to a lot then, but I'm listening to a lot now, is Ultraviolence by Lana Del Rey. Great album. If you want to listen to our bonus episodes or if you're a subscriber, I'm going to be talking more about that album. I'm going to be talking in depth about the Run the Jewels album, which is my favorite album from 2014. And I also really love Jenny Lewis's The Voyager from this year. So those would be a few that I really loved. I would just say that for the first six months of the year until Fish went on tour, the I was I was 
traveling a lot throughout Southeast Asia. And the only things I was listening to were old fish bootlegs and the war on drugs lost in the dream. So that record just like lived in my brain for about six months. Um, probably be talking about that in the bonus episode. We should probably for everyone who is listening, take a quick break and then we'll be back with the show. All right. So we have arrived two weeks into Fish's summer 2014 tour. The band kicked off in Boston, did a roundabout way through the Northeast, and somehow two weeks later, only two weeks later, landed in New York City. Um, Great start to this tour. We landed here on Sunday night. We had two nights prior at Randall's Island. I went to 7-12-2014, and then I decided to stay home with friends to watch the World Cup and barbecue on 713. We were like, oh, we'll webcast it. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. We really nice should work. This was, this was a good show. I liked 712. Yeah. It's a really fun show. If you haven't listened in a while, there's a great ghost, great Karini, great hood. But the show is 713. Let's be honest here. Um, set one kicks off with Sand, Winter Queen, Reba, Birds of a Feather, Water in the Sky, Into Possum, Into Runaway Jim. Bounce around the room, maze, and split open and melt. Before we dive into it, I just want to shout out the fans who kept calling for Iculus throughout set one. I know. In which the band <laughs> played a fairly standard, straightforward set list that works really well for a Sunday night set one. This uh, this kind of reminded me of um, the last couple 40 for 40 set ones that we've had, which is very, very solid you know, foundational setting fish with some, some really cool moments here. But um, Jonathan, what were your thoughts? What were your kind of initial highlights of this set? I mean, it's a good set. It's not, uh, I don't really think it's, it's got a clunker in it, which is nice. Uh, you can, speaking of the fans, I pretty sure on live fish, you can actually hear a people ch- asking for Reba and then they play Reba. Wilson. Um, they ask for Wilson, Tila. <laughs> They're like, well, somebody's always Wilson, asking for everything, Reba. but but uh, there's, a, I think, a pretty concerted little chant for Reba that you can hear right before Trey drops into Reba, uh, which is kind of great. And uh, I, I mentioned that Reba has, you know, some imperfections, but it turns out really nice. Um, but backing up a bit, I think the sand, you know, it's like nine minutes or something. I don't have time. It's in front of me. Uh, but solid groove for an opener. Um, I think it sets a nice tone. Everybody should be ready to move. I find it interesting that they drop into Winter Queen after that, which um, I looked back at some comments and things that were made about this show right around the time it happened or, you know right after it, I guess I should say, because nobody was really commenting before. Um, And (laughs) Winter Queen was not super well-received, I think, by the selected fan base that I was looking into at the time. Um, I like it. I like this version. I find it interesting that, you know, when he he starts his solo after the um, the echoes around his head, you know, it's after the the Prince of Music plays guitar lines, um, he starts his solo with a big old, like, burst of echo that pings around in your stereo field as you listen. And then he goes on to a more normal solo, but it's like, oh, I see what you're doing, Trey. I like it. Um, But overall, uh, yeah, solid set. Uh, Birds doesn't really go anywhere. It's solid. Jim hints it going somewhere it doesn't quite break out and the split open and melt is one of the better ones of 3.0 mm-hmm. up to this point mm-hmm. in 3.0 
like fishnet comment call it th- calls it more a throwback to 93 94 i think that makes sense it plays with the tension a lot it doesn't go too far afield but it also doesn't fall apart i don't whiff it um which was not an uncommon thing in early 3.0 totally um and uh yeah so good result Meg, what are your thoughts you were at this show right yeah i was at the show this is the one show i saw in 2014 and when you picked the show, Jonathan, I was like, I wonder if that's one of the Randall's Island shows. And I wonder if it's the one I was at. Cause you know, I don't know dates really. Wait, is he picking shows based. Was that you calling in being like, yeah, I mean, I used like a voice a thing, but voice it was changer. weird. Cause we've done a couple shows like, which is weird. Cause I didn't, you know, I haven't seen tons and tons of fish shows. It's not like I've seen all of them, but I have seen some of them some and of them. it's like, we're covering them. It's weird. Um, but yeah, this was a really crazy time in my life because I, moved back from London three days before this show. So my daughter graduated nursery school on July 9th, and then we moved back the next day. And I actually have no idea how I pulled this show off. We were subletting our apartment in New York. I think it might've been empty by then, but like we we didn't have furniture or anything. So I must've dropped my kids and my husband off somewhere. And then I went down to New York and, you know, I didn't have fish friends in New York city at this time. So I ended up calling on some college friends who were in New York at the time and pulling them in like my best friend from college he's not into fish but he is into having a good time and so I dragged him to this fish show I had extra ticket and I like got we got to Randall's Island and it was amazing like it was set up like a festival kind of like I've never been to a fish festival but it was really incredible I mean it was the my like besides MSG it was my favorite venue I've ever been to in New York they had this huge sign I think said something like you know welcome to our joy and you got onto the island and everybody was like hanging out all around the entrance. And I found like the youngest girl I could find and just gave her my ticket. and was like, have a great show. And I just walked in. And the way that the venue was set up is that there were vendors like all along the sides. So there wasn't like one or two spots to get drinks or food. They were just like lining the venue. So there was no lines ever. And I don't drink a lot of wine, but my favorite is rosé. And they had rosé at a fish show. It was so fun. And it was outside. It was beautiful out. So I was like drinking rosé. It's like, yeah, this is great. And this show, you know, I didn't see any shows in 2.0 and I'd had pretty bad luck with 3.0 shows, except for the one show on January 1st, 2011, which I was overserved for and had to leave. So that didn't really count. So this was the best show I'd seen since July 7th, 99 which we also talked about in 99 because that was my pick. But I hadn't seen this good of a fish show that I had been like with it for in 15 years. And so this show really, really just inspired me in a way to get back into the band. And I wouldn't say that I had the like rabid inspiration that I had after the Baker's Dozen, but this combined with Trey doing – um, fairly well next year, which I'm really excited to talk about next year, really sent me on this like journey of like remembering what this band could do and how much I loved it. And I think the first the first set is, yeah, like you guys have said, just a solid, solid first set. I think opening with Sand is cool as fuck. Like Sand is one of the coolest fish songs that there is. And just to like drop you into it, it's like you're in a fish show and you're in like the meat right away. I just... I love it. I think Trey's solo sounds really good. You know, the crowd really stood out to me. Like we were talking about, they're just very like hyped up and screaming a lot. And 
I remember being kind of surprised at at the the crowd. They, I thought the crowd was going to be everybody kind of my age, but the crowd was a lot younger than I remembered, or just like there were a lot more younger people there, and it was it was really rowdy. I remember that, but yeah, this first set was really fun. I think the split open and melt was really like kind of blew me away at the time. I hadn't seen fish play like that in a while, and it just it did. It reminded me of the old days. It just had that like ascending woo and and Trey's like mimicking what he's doing on the guitar and he starts yelling and had that kind of like off the like I don't know just like wild feeling that energy where it could just like you never knew where it was going to go and I I remember thinking like wow this is they're really tapping into something that I haven't seen them tap into in a really long time and it was and I know they had at other moments but for me live it really it really kind of blew me away and then the second set like yeah it was exciting the show is I'm really glad you picked it Jonathan because it's a great show Right on. I'm too. And I mean, I share the sentiments you guys have. I, like I said, I was that the night before and I got the same vibes. It felt like a festival. It felt like you could get anywhere and get anything you needed and get back to your spot, even though it was this giant sprawling lawn overlooking Manhattan um, without a ton of stress. Like I, this was, yeah. I, I'd gone to Great Woods, I'd gone to SPAC um, uh, prior to this show on this tour. And, you know, those venues they come with a bit of stress as you're trying to Mm -hmm. just like get your conveniences and meet up with people and this show felt just like we're all on a big open lawn there's enough bathrooms there's enough food that like you just hang out man and like fish is gonna play and kind of similar to the night before this first set is just like kind of just classic fish with some new songs sprinkled in um really cool uh really good comment here from glenn russell that i just want to shout out that look at the set list fish 2014 is the fish is the calm before trey's new songwriting storm just hold Mm. tight I, i agree with that i think like you know we have the fuego songs but the thing that's really wild about this period is like we haven't gotten new songs since 09 10 when like joy came out and there was kind of a sense of, okay, we have a new batch of songs. These will become a part of the fish rotation. The old songs are still the songs that they're going towards. What none of us could foresee was there's like a hundred songs coming over the next seven years. And that these are just like batch one. There's going to be another batch in 2015. And then 2016 is a new album in 2017. And it just keeps going on. Plus these new Halloween albums that give you 13 new songs. And then Lonely Trip and... Um, Ghost of the Forest, like there's just so much that's on the horizon from a songwriting standpoint. This is kind of one of those last times where these new songs kind of stand out as islands within, mm. you know, fish playing very classic type of stuff. Um, I'll just kind of comment quickly, like Sand, there's only been six show opening Sands ever, which is kind of wild. Um, I've seen somehow two of them, um, but this like really set the tone nicely for the show. I seem to recall it rained a bit uh, at the start of the show. Um, and then it got really nice afterwards. And like, it just kind of fits the mood of, of the start of a show like that. Uh, Winter Queen, I, I remember, Jonathan, what you were talking about. Like, this was not very well received. This is a song that I think has aged really nicely. And I think yeah. as you're listening to it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of feedback, a lot of really cool, like, soloing attempts from trey what you mentioned jonathan about it runaway jim you'll hear that in there where he's just trying to find some weird space winter queen always has felt like almost like an anti-ballad to me where like it's slow it's kind of mellow but it has that like 
almost like ocelot where it still has mm. enough energy to drive it and create a lot of space um the split open melt was kind of my only other song that had i had really you know big thoughts about and the biggest one was like you're right it does not fall apart you also don't have pages on a baby grand the entire jam which four years later he is going to be using synthesizers and he is going to be adding all this space and trey is going to be utilizing the synth pedal and it's going to add this like dimension to um split up and melt jams that like make them really stand out moments in the show whereas here it kind of feels like an addition to other great parts of the overall show it doesn't feel like the highlight but it feels like it kind of foreshadows where the band is going to go in set two once we get there but it's really wild to hear this because it's at a point in time when like like i was saying effects aren't really a huge part of trey's uh guitar output at this point in time and so it's a lot of like feedback and page playing really weird dissonant notes on the baby grand and it just has a sound that like you guys are describing it's a bit old school for fish but it also like you hear where they're pushing to but they're just not there yet it's it's really wild Mm -hmm. yeah they'll add those layers and with them about three to five minutes per split open and melt right I think this is only like twelve or thirteen minutes. Like it gets to a really yeah. cool space, but it's definitely not like pushing around the bend in the way that we will get to. Um, any last thoughts that you guys have about set one before we move into um, what should be a very thrilling segment of music to talk about? All right, no, no. So diving not. diving into set two here, we've got a little rock song about. Uh, mid uh middle school angst called Choctaw's torture and a light and a tweezer waiting in the velvet sea sing monica slave to the traffic lights some would call a poor man's hood i don't know if i would call it that, <laughs> that uh, one guy then, did the one guy did. yeah one, and then the encore did. was backwards on the number line into tweezer reprise um i'm sure you guys are the same i got a lot of thoughts about this Chalked us light tweezer. Uh, where do we want to start here? Jonathan, you picked this show. Where, where do we want to start with all this? Start at the beginning. That's so chalk test is long. Let's just, let's start with that. Um, I, I, again, looking at the comments out in the universe, I'll get to my own feelings here in a second, but looking at some of the, the commentary that I saw that came out in the weeks following this, as people were listening to the show, people who were there, you know, whatnot. Some were immediately throwing around greatest chalk test ever. Some were like, uh, except maybe for that Camden one. And I, to which I pretty sure I immediately re- responded that it was good. For, that one's good for naps or the it version, which I do like, um, you know, and then others were like, guys, this is not that great. It's long, but, and, and so the truth is somewhere in between as usual, I think. Um, I f- listening to the chalk dust jam. I feel like there are chunks of this that are really familiar. Uh, there's bits of this that are straight out of the Tahoe tweezer. It's bits of this that are straight out of some other big jam. I can't remember right now because I don't use notes. Um, you know, there's there's really familiar music happening for the first ten minutes first chunk of this jam and it's really only after you cross the 20 minute mark that new really interesting stuff is happening 
And for my money, that and the jams in light and tweezer are really where it's at. Hmm. Um, the whole package, pretty cool. Um, but if I had to take just the chalk dust in isolation, I would probably go, there's some good stuff there. In fact, I, I, I am doing that right now. So I'm going to pass, uh, <laughs> pass the uh, gavel so that somebody else may take up talking about this chalk dust here. Well, it's interesting. I don't disagree with you. And I was, because, you know, this is when we sit down to, when I sit down to listen to these shows, um, I tend to take notes as I'm listening to it. And I'm kind of just like tracking, like, when is there a change happening musically? And the first 15 or so minutes of this are really good. And one of the things that's always fascinating to me. It's engaging. It's very engaging. Yeah. Um, at, At 5.33, they just move completely away from Chalk Dust. And they're no longer playing Chalk Dust Torture at this point in time. And it immediately jumps into this kind of blissy jam. It's almost like that Camden Chalk Dust that you referenced. Um, it kind of sounds Magnaball-esque to me, like that dream space that they'll get into in parts 2015. But then I totally agree with you. There is kind of this familiarity as they're working through, I don't want to say tropes, but almost like they know how to jam chalk us at this point in time. Um, and so they're just kind of like, they're going. And then around 20 minutes, the bottom literally falls out and you get this kind of break in rhythm. Page switches over to the baby grand and Trey is kind of courting in a very jazzy manner. It sounds to me like the Victor disc, which is my eternal mm. two asks of the fish world. And one is to release the Victor disc on vinyl. And the other is 725.99, a soundboard release. Sorry, I had to get that in there. Um, but you get like weirdness and sirens. Like Paige is, he sounds like a Baroque composer gone mad and like Trey is <laughs> yeah. weird, just wild sirens over the top of them. Fish starts to dominate at some point. Since they're triggered, Mike starts to play these descending riffs that are just mind blowing. Um, Trey mimics Fish at some point. There's this industrial beat. It kind of sounds like a hint of the 8 1 2015 tweezer that is like this tweezer that has zero peak and just like moves along through weird soundscapes. Um, and then we end with Mike, Sirens, Fish, this kind of hypnotic beat, Trey chords. And my notes were just like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is jamming. Like, this is it. That final 10 minutes. And as they shift into light, Meg, I'll throw it to you here in a second. But like the thing that fascinates me about this light is it's almost like they take what worked so well in that tweezer, mm-hmm. uh, chalked us, and they condense it into 11 minutes uh, and basically like five minutes because that light goes from rhythmic jamming to a very bright, almost lullaby segment, to acid jazz, to a demented build, to a mind left body tease, back to some more jazzy type of playing, up to a white lights build, Trey's trailing page and fish are just going crazy. They have a fully realized peak at 1034. And then at 1110, there's this resolution as the band moves uh, towards tweezer. So it's this like 20 minute chunk of music that bridges chalk dust into light that just showcases the band is kind of like stepping out past the cliff in a way that we really wouldn't hear them do until later in the fall tour. And so it's exciting because there's been a lot of buildup towards this in the early part of the summer 2014 tour. But then this is kind of the end of that. They're not really going to do this much more for the remainder of the tour. Um, Bit for shame, but also like, like I said earlier, there are moments where 
I hear them hinting at the sounds they're going to realize in full in 2015, which is part of the reason that 2015 is so huge for me. Like you have to get to that with these sort of stuff. So I'll pause, Meg, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, I agree with everything you both have said. The thing that strikes me is that this whole segment, I would even say the tweezer too, just feels really effortless. And it's almost like the songs are touchstones because they really stay there so rarely. And then they just kind of go off again, not rarely, but shortly. And then they kind of blast off again. This chalk dust, I hear what you're saying about it. It's sounding like other things, Jonathan, but in the moment, I hadn't heard a 30 minute jam live. Oh, sure. Really, really long fucking time. And I was like, (laughs) what is happening? This is going. Yeah, like this is fish. Like this is like what I miss. Like this is like, you know, I didn't even get a lot of these in 1.0. Like this is a big deal for me to have in this moment. I'm being there with someone who's not into fish. I was kind of like, you know, they were trying to like engage, like what's happening. I'm like, shut up. You know, like we're in like a, we're in a space, (laughs) like we're in just like amazingness right now. And so for me, all these different sections were just totally engaging and amazing. And I thought, sounded really democratic like they it's like the best of 2013 just like really playing together really listening to each other they all have moments of shine like I think you really explained it well Brian but like there's the end part after that 20 minute spot when they're all just playing with textures I mean they are all on really different textures and Paige goes back to the piano and he's doing those like flourishes like what you called like a baroque player it is wild. Like hearing that live was totally wild. And Trey starts doing the whale calls and the band sounds like they're just floating in space. And it was really, really amazing. And I love what Fishman does at the end of this jam. It's just so killer. That beat he's got is amazing. But I even have to say, listening back, what I was drawn to listen to mostly was the light. It's just, it's really condensed in a way almost like what you were saying Brian about how it like it does so much in such a short amount of time almost it's like they barely even are in the song and then it just goes off into this beautiful beautiful space and it builds so dramatically and the organ swells and the piano like I don't know how Paige is doing both at one point like he's going between the piano and the organ it's just like and it just it's just fills you up it's such a heartwarming jam I had a really long week and I listened to this jam three times today. It just like uh-huh. really filled my heart. I, I think this light is, it's going to be like, you know, kind of like overshadowed by the chalk dust, but it's really beautiful. And I feel like when you hear the tweezer too, it's almost like they can't play a song without jamming it in this set. Like they're just like, this is what we do now. You know, the monster sounds, you get a dark rhythmic, really toned section. you got a really nice peak at the end that feels really organic too. And then to land in waiting in the velvet sea. Yes. Yes, please. And again, Paige is just absolutely gorgeous in the song. I think that whole section is just peak fish. I love it. I think it's in the moment, it totally blew my mind. And listening back, it it surprised me what I liked the most out of it because it's not the tweezer or the chalk dust. I think in the moment, the tweezer was exciting because I love tweezer and hearing it like in this really fun environment after two big beautiful jams it was just like that's what the crowd wants like you're like oh my god they're playing tweezer now like they just jammed out two big songs yeah yeah like this is set like this is ballsy set list like yes go to tweezer and then they yeah I think that listening back though the light is really what stood stood out to me 
Yeah, the, the tweezer rift is it's the it's so loaded with expectations. They play it, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "Oh, now we're really gonna jam!" Like as if yeah, they yeah. haven't been all this time. Um, I think you're you're spot on talking about how they just the songs are just kind of touching off points because mm-hmm. you know they get yes. through all of this jamming in the chalk dust. Some of the, some of this stuff is, <clears throat> you know familiar territory and they finally push through and get to where they're really making stuff happen and really creating and they they come come into light and they play light and light as you know as we talked about over the past few episodes of this 4040 it was very reliable uh, mm-hmm. as a jam vehicle mm-hmm. and but at this point in the show fish is like we're in the jam zone but here's light and now we go back yeah, and then they exactly. go back into the zone. Beautiful stuff. The mind left body jam. If, if it is that, if we want to call it that, I don't care. It's, it's just ish. like a very quick hit. It's like ish, that. you know, it's but it's ish, just yeah. a beautiful little space. And then, um, and they're like, uh, oh, oh, look, here's, here's tweezer. And they, okay, tweezer now off again. And, uh, and I think that they were right to land it. You know, they get out there, mm-hmm. they've worked a lot of ideas, they've played a lot of sounds, and just really it's a thrilling suite of music. And so, as I said at the beginning, taking the chalk dust on its own is a mistake. Collectively, yeah. these three songs, and arguably the fourth one, The Waiting in I the Belt Sea, so. really so. are the thing, because the landing is is everything. And... uh and certainly 2014, I mean, we're, we're 10 years. It's only 10 years at that point. Totally. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. it, 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 super charged with energy yeah. <laughs> and weight. Um, yeah. Megan, I wanted to ask you while you were talking about this, you know, being there, um, which, you know, any criticisms I, I have for this show, you know, don't matter when you're there. Um, because of they're course. not that big a deal. But um, had you heard the like the the Tahoe Tweezer? I, I know you were listening some, but not religiously at the time. You know, in those days. No, I wasn't. I wasn't really like listening to anything. I was listening to a fair amount. That's not true. I was listening to a fair amount, but I wasn't thinking like cataloging it or analyzing it. Somebody would send me to it, and I'd be like, "That's a great show." Or I like that tweezer. Or, yeah, I wasn't well, maybe, thinking about fish. But you mm-hmm. weren't like. Yeah, so I may have heard it, invested. but I wasn't yeah. like okay. aware of it. Yeah. So I definitely wasn't like analyzing the music ever. I was so in the moment in fish all the time until, you know, probably I joined this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and no, then you know, everything the changed about how I be. think about fish. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. The uh, I, I'm just going to finish my thoughts on this this show and pass this back around to you, Brian, and then to yeah. you, Megan, uh, if you don't mind. But the uh, because Sing Monica is such a like cute little song that I I, I think I'm words. probably in a minority yeah. thinking that it would be really cool to hear this pop back into a first set sometime. Be so fun, um, dancey. It's yeah, exactly. It's it's got a great energy, um, and it's not. You know, I, I don't know. I, I I think it's fun. It's it's a little, I don't know. I'm glad it came after Velvet Sea and not before. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, um, it sure does. 
I think it's in the and slot in the second set where it's almost like you can play the only you place after you could doing put, that. Yeah. 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 You've earned um, it. And then, and then slave, which is, you know, it's no hood, uh, but it's, it's <laughs> lovely. And, um, and this one is, is fine. Uh, and I think it, uh, it wraps the set nicely and number line tweezer reprise. Great way to end the show yeah. weekend what have you um really good stuff yeah i think like this set is interesting because um you know we talked last week about like a complete set where every segment of a set feels like it really matters and i think there is one argument that a, a certain segment of the fan base can make that like waiting sigmonica is a weird set listing choice at that point in time to me you get 50 minutes 55 minutes of just yeah. brilliant music to kick off the set you can if there there are certain sets where the band plays so well out the gates that you can almost play whatever the hell you want i also totally. agree with you like go ahead well, i was gonna say it just real quickly if you look at this set on paper and don't give any thought or have any knowledge of the jam. You don't give any yeah. thought mm -hmm. to how long Chuck Dust Torture is. Because Chuck Dust Torture is this, you know, seven, eight minute song. You know, Tweezer's not long. Oh, maybe, I mean, Tweezer's long, but Light's not always long. You know, maybe, you know, it's it doesn't look anything like it is. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, I think that this happens sometimes with Fish with Second Sets where they play... 45 50 minutes of just incredible music to kick off a set and it's almost like okay well what do we how do we fill the rest of the time and you kind of just Say have whatever to you want. Those songs and that point they can and i think so i'm in full agreement with you about sing monica i remember when it first was played it sounded it reminded me of the connection in a very like poppy mm. way and then i remember sitting down and like like it's so much more than the connection Right, but like initially, I was like, "Really? Like this is the song you guys are?" But then I read the lyrics. The lyrics are hilarious, and they all every response from Paige plays off of something Trey said in a really, really cool way. It's just like some clever stuff from Tom. I also was really curious how many times has this been played? Eight times total. Is that wild? Eight. Eight. The last time it was played was uh, July twentieth, twenty sixteen, in a first set that had all rarities so this is a song that I, I would welcome back i think that if you hate this song whatever man it's three minutes like you won't even be able to get to the bathroom <laughs> back in that time try it you know but like this is a great little like pop ditty that the band can play and then slave hey man if you're gonna play hood the night before you gotta play the b team the next night no i'm gonna stop this joke <laughs> slave is gorgeous like yeah, like perfect. an 18 year old trade to realize that if like I played an A chord up and down the guitar. I can make all this like vibey stuff and then do this incredible solo based off of it. And it would like end shows in such a dramatic and emotive way. And that's what happens here. Like you have a set that has Choctus, Tweezer and Slave in it. And Choctus is the longest jam. Like what a weird flip of what fish would become, you know, by this point in time, this is part of, the journey that we're on with this band is like we had this defined idea of who these guys were in the nineties. And by the mid 2010s, they're just totally messing with the structure and the format of what made fish work. And you hear the results of that in a show like this. Um, I think this is a great show. Um, it, funny enough. So this show happened 
I, uh, my wife and I were driving back from New Jersey to Chicago uh, two days later, and we decided, you know what, let's drive up to Detroit and see that show because they're playing so hot right now. That's got to be a killer show. And it was an undersold show on a Wednesday night in Detroit in the middle of a great summer tour. It was not a very good show. It's a completely <laughs> different band <laughs> from this show. And Aww. I don't know what happened for the remainder of the summer tour. I love, obviously, that Meriwether Night, too. There are some cool moments here and there. But this show is this, like, peak of the first half of summer 2014 and showcases a lot of where the band is going, but also showcases what they were really good at in the moment. And it was really fun to go back and listen to. Meg, your last thoughts? Yeah, I just, I agree about Sing Monica. This is the only time I've ever heard this song. And I think it's great for a first set. I think they should totally bring it back. And Slave to End a Show in New York City, outside, the end of the run. It's beautiful. It's perfect. This song hits in New York in a way that is just special. It's like, you know, it just feels like a New York song. Yeah, but how many of you guys are actually getting in cars after a fish show in New York City? I got in an Uber. I got my first Uber ever after this I was in an Uber because you, to get, it's really hard actually to get to the subway from Randall's Island. Like it's in a weird spot. spot. It's a really long walk to the subway. So I subwayed up closer and then I got an Uber like, because you're off like the Tribro Bridge. Like you need to get in. So you are in a car. Not my town. I don't know. Yeah. But this is a perfect (laughs) ending. I also love the number line here because like Paige gives little speech where he like thanks everyone and says like, we do this for you. And then they play blackers down the number line, which is just like kind of like a stamp on a show. Like this song is special to us. This show is special to us. And I feel like that's something they continue to do now. And I just love hearing them do it all the way back in 2014. And in this tweet prize, they are like laying it down they're growling they're yelling they're so into it they're having so much fun it's it was really fun to listen back i kind of forgot about that yeah it's funny you you, the uh there were in 2014 there were definitely a lot of vocal number line haters so yes um the band is clearly loves it and people are like oh god damn it good way to beat the uber line i guess <laughs> well, this, yeah. was the, this was the tail Suckers. end of the period where backwards on the number line was played in every big run um yeah. and this mm-hmm. was kind of like the last this and light were like the last lingering fish is going to play those two songs every run it does not matter if you have a three night run you were seeing one you're seeing both of those songs you enjoy myself had kind of fallen off by 2012 that was very very reliable throughout 209 to 11 um a few other songs but like number line still in 2014 it's a big run of fish it's a big encore number line is being played at that point in time and it was it's a testament to this thing that we were talking about last week and that is still slightly happening like i think the fuego stuff as we hear in this show and the the jamming breakthroughs of last fall 2013 the nostalgia of fish 3.0 has kind of worn off and it's now a totally new era but mm-hmm. there are still moments where the band is like we are just so happy to be able to step out on stage you talk about jonathan that um it was the 10-year anniversary of coventry that was definitely a conversation that was happening in 2014 more than it's happened in the years since where it still felt like you could reach back and touch coventry and touch that mm-hmm. era of the band in a way that now 
feels like a huge distant memory. It feels like just a thing that happened within the band's history. In 2014, I mean, it still felt like we could get there. Like still people with the mud on their cars or in their cars from that weekend. <laughs> I still haven't cleaned it out behind my ears. It's my one way of saying that, uh, you know, I was, I was there. You were um, there. I was there. Um, any last thoughts here about Fish 2014 or about 2014 in general? I just want to say I'm excited to talk about 2015. Me too. But I really yeah. enjoyed this visit to 2014. Likewise. And it's important too. that we do the ups and downs, you know? Yeah, I haven't picked a show for next week yet. It's my pick. It's, it's a little stressful. Why do I always get these like years that you guys love so much? It's, <laughs> it's really I, intense. I, I wouldn't say it's a year that I love so much, but there's a lot to talk about. So mm-hmm. I That's think it, it will be... It will be fun to get into it. This is my favorite tour of 3.0. Um, there were a lot of good shows to pick, Meg, and a few that I wouldn't pick. But, uh, you know, we're going to leave it in your hands. I think this we have the, faith and trust in you. 2015 is the year, the, the first time we saw a show together, Brian. It was. Merryweather Night Oh, one. my God. That's first awesome. Time I hung out. 2015, I will tell a funny story about the first time I ever hung out with RJ during the 2015 episode. Uh, collided with a big <laughs> life event for me. Um, yeah, so we're going to join everyone here in 2015 next week. Thank you all for hanging with us. Thanks, everyone, for sending in your voicemails. Uh, I don't have the number in front of me, but I know I know that it by heart. Tell us. 416-484-0488. Give that a call. Leave us a voicemail. Ask any questions that you want. Make any statements. We'll respond in real time. It's 484-416-0488. Whoops. So I had the right numbers, just in the wrong order. It's the wrong sequence. Yeah. So once again, that's 484-416-0488. After I said it, I was like, damn, I'm so good with numbers. And then I was wrong. (laughs) You had them all. I've always had, like, yeah, a confidence that may not be earned. Okay, I got them all. (laughs) Sorry. Meg's favorite show of 2021, The Numbers Show. And we will see you all. (laughs) To Cinnamon in the chat, yes, I do have a harp behind me. Thank you, Cinnamon. Yes. Thank you. That's awesome. All right, everyone. You guys have a great weekend. We're going to have a good weekend. We're going to listen to some 2015 fish. So, and there's a lot of good 2015 albums. I'm sorry. We just keep going. Great, great stuff. Um, we will keep chugging along and uh, see you guys next time. Have a good one. Bye, everyone. it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. 
Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.